No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where God tells Jeremiah to hide a linen sash in the river, and then after many days to get it. As it is now ruined, so will God ruin the pride of Judah, sending them into captivity. We hope you join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Jeremiah chapter 13 on Simply the Bible. King Josiah had brought great spiritual reforms to the nation of Judah, including destroying the high places where the people offered sacrifices to pagan gods. But Josiah fought against Pharaoh Necho and was killed in battle. His son Jehoahaz became king, but he only reigned three months. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and Pharaoh Necho imprisoned him and took him to Egypt. Then he made Jehoiakim, the elder brother of Jehoahaz, king in his place. Jehoiakim reigned for 11 years, but he also did evil, opening the door for the people to return to their idolatry. Babylon became the next prominent power. In 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, which was the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign. Nebuchadnezzar took with him some of the articles of the house of God and also some of the children of the king's descendants and nobles, including Daniel and his three friends. Jehoiakim paid tribute to Nebuchadnezzar for three years, but then he rebelled. Consequently, Nebuchadnezzar attacked a second time, bound Jehoiakim in bronze chains and took him to Babylon, where he later died. Then his son Jehoiakim became king at the age of 18. He also did evil in the eyes of the Lord. His mother was Nehushta and probably co-reigned with him as queen mother. Jehoiakim's reign only lasted three months before Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem a third time. He captured Jehoiakim, his mother, and government officials and took them to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar then made Jehoiakim's uncle king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Scholars believe that Jeremiah gave this prophecy in 597 B.C., during the three-month reign of Jehoiakim and the queen mother. The people of Jerusalem had already been defeated twice by the Babylonians, but they had not humbled themselves before the Lord, nor turned from their detestable idolatry. Chapter 13 begins with God giving Jeremiah an object lesson. Thus the Lord said to me, Go and get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist but do not put it in water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. Scholars are divided as to whether this linen garment was a waist cloth undergarment or a sash that would be used to tie the outer garment of one's robe. The sash was often colorful, contrasting the white garments it held together. Now, God told Jeremiah to wear the waist cloth or sash, but he wasn't to put it in water. In other words, he wasn't to wash it so it would become dirtier. If it was a sash, then the people would see it getting dirtier and wonder what Jeremiah was up to. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, take this sash that you acquired, which is around your waist and arise Go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a hole in the rock. 
So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. The Hebrew word translated Euphrates can also be translated para. Para was a village about three miles northeast of Jeremiah's hometown. There is a deep seasonal riverbed there that fits the description here. If Jeremiah really did go to the Euphrates to bury his sash, it would have been a round trip of about 700 miles that he would have had to make twice. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates and take from there the sash which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. Being in the water all that time, his beautiful sash was now ugly, ruined, and worthless. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus says the Lord in this manner, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they would not hear. The sash represented the people of Judah and Jerusalem. They had gloried in their city, their temple, and their position as God's chosen people. But they had become filthy because they refused to listen to God's words, but chose rather to follow the dictates of their own hearts. Now they would be buried, as it were, by the Babylonians, and their pride would be ruined. As the sash or waist cloth clung to the body, so God desired the house of Israel and Judah to cling to him in close intimacy so that they would become his people. God wanted to present them to the nations for praise and for glory. He wanted to glorify himself through them, but because of their rebellion, the nations were now blaspheming the Lord. Their refusal to cling to the Lord made them ugly, corrupt, and unprofitable. Therefore, you shall speak to them this word. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, every bottle shall be filled with wine. And they will say to you, do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness. And I will dash them one against another, even the fathers and the sons together, says the Lord. I will not pity, nor spare, nor have mercy, but will destroy them. Scripture refers to wine in various ways. Often it is used in the negative sense because of the evils of drunkenness. But wine is also used as a symbol of joy and prosperity, as when Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding feast. There is another symbol of wine in prophetic passages that represents the wrath of God that he causes nations to drink because of their wickedness. Now, the people kept thinking that things were getting better and better in every way. But Jeremiah told them that they were going to get worse. 
When Jeremiah said that every bottle would be filled with wine, they responded, well, we already know that. And they were thinking that they would prosper. But the Lord responded to them saying that he would fill them with drunkenness, not the parting that they were thinking of, but the wine of his wrath so that they would be destroyed like clay pots being smashed together. As they had been parting in the day of judgment rather than mourning over their sins, God would now make them drunk with the wine of his wrath. Hear and give ear. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. And while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense darkness. But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Jeremiah urged them to give glory to God while there was still time before the darkness fell. Then their feet would stumble and they would be destroyed. This was the calm before the storm. They could humble themselves now and repent before the terrible Babylonian invasion where Nebuchadnezzar would take captive 10,000 of the strongest people of Judah. But if they would not turn from their pride, then Jeremiah would surely weep for the Lord's flock. Say to the king and to the queen mother, humble yourselves, sit down, for your rule shall collapse the crown of your glory. The cities of the south shall be shut up and no one shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it. It shall be wholly carried away captive. It may have been too late for the nation of Judah to avert the impending disaster, but if the king and queen mother would humble themselves and submit to God, then it would go better for them. The starting point for any genuine spiritual revival is for people to humble themselves before God and turn from their sins. If they won't, then no real change is possible and the inevitable judgment of God will surely come. In my opinion, verses 20 through 22 are easier to understand in the New Living Translation. So I will read from that version. Open up your eyes and see the armies marching down from the north. Where is your flock, your beautiful flock? that he gave you to care for. What will you say when the Lord takes the allies you have cultivated and appoints them as your rulers? Pangs of anguish will grip you like those of a woman in labor. You may ask yourself, why is all this happening to me? It is because of your many sins. That is why you have been stripped and raped by invading armies. This third Babylonian invasion would be devastating, leaving only the poorest people in the land. God had appointed his leaders as shepherds to care for his flock, but now they were taken captive. And rather than trusting in the Lord, Judah had made alliances with other countries, and now these same countries would rule over them. In her promiscuity as the Lord's wife, she had sought other lovers, and now they would strip and abuse her. What terrible judgment upon the nation. No wonder Jeremiah could not hold back his tears. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. Could an Ethiopian man change the color of his skin or a leopard its spots? Of course not. 
This is also the human condition. How can a person who has sinned all his life ever change? But the gospel says that what is impossible for man is possible with God. Though our sins are as scarlet, yet we can become white as snow. We can be born again and become a new creation in Christ. And the old things will pass away if we will believe in Jesus Christ and turn from our sins. But sadly, the nation of Judah would be more like the leopard not changing its spots. Therefore, I will scatter them like stubble that passes away by the wind of the wilderness. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. Therefore, I will uncover your skirts over your face, that your shame may appear. I have seen your adulteries and your lustful names, the lewdness of your harlotry, your abominations on the hills in the fields. Woe to you, O Jerusalem! Will you still not be made clean? Tragically, Judah would ignore Jeremiah's prophetic warnings, stiffen their necks, and go into Babylonian captivity. How can we apply this to our own lives? The truth is, it is later than we think. Time is running out. Will we humble ourselves as a nation and turn to the Lord, or will we continue in pride and bear the tragic consequences? It may be too late to change our nation, but we can change ourselves. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. That's calvarytv.org. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. To listen to previous episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our podcast on iTunes or Spotify and please leave us a review. Tomorrow we will see how drought, the sword, and pestilence come to Judah because they love to wander. Jeremiah complains about the prophets who prophesy peace and praise for God's mercy. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Jeremiah on Simply the Bible. <music>